Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton. The gentleman line as it does every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Hey, good evening, Neil. And yeah, good to be back in a bit of action, as we know, with the deadline uh, last week with the trade. So yeah, there's plenty to chat about and sort of reshapes, hopefully, the, the back end of this season and makes it, yeah, even more probably unpredictable than it may have already been. So yeah, they've certainly thrown a spanner in a works with a few of these deals and um, yeah, a bit of excitement uh, from the big point of the season. Oh, there certainly was, mate. There was there was a number of big deals that we'll work our way through. And finally, Caddy, we'll kick it off, obviously, with the biggest one. Finally, Caddy, after months and months of speculation, we can have a thunderous applause because Ben Simmons was finally traded. I, I think from the minute Daryl Morey walked into into the office, I think I reckon Daryl Morey is one of those guys, Caddy, that's got a whiteboard up and he writes what he wants to achieve on his whiteboard, and I reckon the two words he wrote when he w- walked into his office were James Harden and put a big circle around him. And he and he finally got his man, and, and credit to him, because he obviously a, a lot of people were saying that he, that he should have pulled the trigger a bit early and sort of taken whatever he could get for Ben Simmons. And he held firm, Caddy, and in the end, uh, the trade in the end was the Brooklyn Nets received Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, an unprotected 2022 first-round pick, and a protected 2027 first-round pick, and the 76ers received, received James Harden and Paul Millsap. So huge deal, uh, two All-Stars sort of changing uh, teams. How do you like this deal, Caddy, for both teams? Do you see it sort of uh, as a win for one team and maybe not the other, or do you think, uh, as we probably discussed a little bit last week, it's perhaps a win-win for both teams? Yeah, I think they both would probably like to think they'd look at it as a win-win, and clearly um, I think Philadelphia... Uh, have probably got the, the best player back in, in return. And when we also got to look at it from the fact that they're coming off a low base considering Simmons, you know, effectively w- wasn't playing and was a, a big zero there for them for the whole season. So to effectively get, if we're assuming that Simmons was going to play for them for the whole season, effectively getting James Harden for Seth Curry and Andre Drummond, I think they'd look at as a pretty significant uh, win for this season. Um, how it looks, obviously, after that's going to be really, really interesting. And I think uh, it was reported pretty early on after the trade that um, James Harden had actually opted into his player option for next season. So at least that takes that uncomfortable uh, James Harden extension off the table. Did uh, that surprise you that he opted in? I mean, that was obviously discussed beforehand, but he could have hit free agency this year and signed a big deal, or did, did it surprise you he opted in? Uh, it didn't surprise me. I, I think it must have been part of the negotiations in terms of himself and Philadelphia where they... So look, we'll pull the trigger on the trade, but you're gonna to have to opt into that number and give us, you know, 12 months of of some clean air before um, we need to kind of get our heads around the fact that we're gonna to have to potentially pay you five years and 250 million dollars after that as you continue to age poorly in the NBA. So I think at least for the time being, they get him this season, assuming he returns after the All Star break, and then next season under contract. And that's really all they've got to be looking at is just that short term this year, next year, while Joel Embiid is, you know, as we've mentioned, playing at a a career level, MVP level, and that's going to give them every opportunity in this season to to give themselves a, a great chance of, of, of you know not only performing well in the East but a chance to win the, the championship as well. Whereas I think if they stood pat, that trade hadn't have happened, and, and Simmons continued to to hold out, then I just don't think they could have probably got all the way through a tough you know seven game series in, in the back end of the Eastern Conference and and, and potentially into the final. They just couldn't have seen uh, the the roster as it was constructed getting there. So this gives them a chance. I mean, Brooklyn, on the other hand, they've been in such a terrible slump. They'd lost 
10 games in a row or 11 games, I think it was, before they scratched out a win today. Um, Seth Curry today, going for a team high in his first game. Well, that was yeah, a bit of a welcome relief <laughs> to all uh, Brooklyn Nets fans. And no, they're, they're still position eight, but yeah, just an incredible drop for, for them. And, and you just wonder, obviously, still with question marks over Simmons' return. Kevin Durant still out injured, Kyrie Irving with the vaccination drama. So whether this year's the year for them, who knows? It'd be a shame if they're wasting another, you know, peak Kevin Durant year. But at least I think for them getting Simmons back and all NBA level player under contract for another three seasons, at least it gives them something to be positive about moving forward. And, you know, in the potentially unlikely event that all these players get back out on the court together at some stage in Brooklyn, then they still are an absolute you know, tough out in the East. So if they can get Durant, Simmons, Harris um, back into the lineup um, to go with Irving, Mills, Curry, you know, Aldridge, etc. Um, I think you know they're going to have a pretty strong, strong chance to to you know compete really well. But but I think there's some you know challenges, obviously there in terms of getting Simmons and Durant and these guys back on the court. But I think you know both teams clearly happy to get a deal done and move on from disgruntled players on either side. Yeah, for sure. And as I mentioned last week, I I thought the deal would be good for both teams. And I particularly like it from a Brooklyn Nets perspective. As you said, that there's a lot of sort of, you know, maybes about this deal. What's going to happen with Kyrie Irving? You know, we're expecting Durant will come back and be his usual self. There's rumours about Joe Harris potentially being out for the rest of the season, making that Seth Curry acquisition even more important. And, and you know, Ben Simmons, we still don't know exactly when He's going to get out on the court, but you'd imagine maybe sometime after, within the next one or two weeks after the All-Star break, you would hope he'd get out on the floor. But w- when you look at it from a Br- uh, Brooklyn Nets perspective, they could run out a five, a finishing five. And you know I always like to do this caddy with, you know, what five can they finish with or start with? A finishing five of Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and either Paddy Mills or Joe Harris in that in that last role there. That that's a That is an extremely good... Offensive lineup. It's certainly got some question marks defensively. Obviously, Ben Simmons, you know, shores them up on that end of the floor. But God, is that going to be a very tough, you know, five to try and to to, to defend? You know, ben Simmons potentially playing that Draymond Green role that you see over in Golden State, and then you're surrounding him with with Curry, Durant, Irving, and either Mills or Harris. They're four absolutely devastating shooters from the outside. So, I think if if the Nets can get all these pieces. Together and look, we're running out of time to get all these players together. And I think I heard somewhere in the last ten games that Irving's only going to be available for two of them. I think because they've got a heavy home schedule late in the year, so there's not going to be a lot of time to to sort of get this continuity together. But if it can all click, I think they're still the the favourites with the bookies, and and it's probably no surprise when you sort of look at the talent they've got on the floor. But yeah, that that's a big question: can they all come together? And then when you look at it from a Philadelphia perspective, I guess that the biggest question mark is how quickly can can Harden and Embiid sort of get some chemistry going. I, I spoke about last week how Embiid's really only played with sort of average-style centres, you know, your Clint Capellas, these sort of screen-and-roll type centres. Well, Embiid's more a, more a, more a pick-and-pop centre, so there's going to be a little bit of adjustment from a James Harden um, perspective, but... Again, that they they could roll out a starting or closing lineup of of Harden, 
uh, Green, Tobias Harris, Thibel and Jile Embiid. You know, you've got the, the mixture of, of defence with, with Embiid and Thibel and Green and, and then certainly Harden and, and Green and Harris can shoot from the outside and even Embiid can shoot from the outside. So I actually like the mix from both teams. If you were sort of grading this caddy as to which team you sort of got above the other just for this season alone, don't worry about you know for, for years to come. Just this season alone, which team would you be more confident going deeper in the Eastern Conference playoffs? I think for this year it's Philly for mine. I think you know let, let's assume Harden's going to come back at, at, at some All Star type level. Then I just think they've improved their team. They were able to hold on to Thibel. Um There was rumours he could have been, or well, he was the one that Brooklyn really desired to get put into that trade, and they were able to. Sounds hold like on they were pretty him. staunch in in keeping him, weren't they? Yeah, and I think fair enough too. He's a pretty unique um, athlete and defender, so really important to what they're trying to do. I just think the, the form Embiid's in, if you can get hard and playing at a, at, a, at a level that we're at least somewhat accustomed to, they're going to be really, really tough this season. I just think, yeah, the Brooklyn um, issues to get, you know, you talked about is there enough time for Harden and Embiid to get chemistry together. I think it's probably much more of a chance of that happening than the situation in Brooklyn, getting them all on the same page and, and quickly. So, I think Philly have really elevated themselves now to a legitimate, you know, contender. Whereas, yeah, I think that certainly wasn't the case before. And um, I just think, yeah, that, that so much talk and pressure around um, Philadelphia getting this deal done even earlier than the deadline. I think they did really well to stand pat. Um, Daryl Morey was pretty, pretty definitive in terms of what he expected in return. That was an all NBA level player, and all these, you know, these Sacramento trades that were coming up about Harrison Barnes or the Aaron Fox or whether it was a Sabonis trade or something like that, um, I think what they've ended up with is James Harden. That's a pretty outstanding outcome. Oh, it certainly is. We're talking about a guy who's won an MVP. He's been runner-up, I think, a couple of times. Uh, the, the big the big thing for me is to let, – let's see how Harden goes. It looks like he's was certainly going through the motions late in those in the last few games. He, he played for Brooklyn. He's obviously been – under a bit of fire for the conditioning he's been in. And, yeah, so let's see how he finishes off the season and, you know, maybe th- this contract that, that Daryl Morey is going to have to hand out to Harden is obviously not one that that uh, I think Brooklyn were all that keen to do. So, yeah, I, I think a win-win for, for both teams. I probably agree with you that just for this season alone, j- just based upon the fact that there's just so much, so many question marks with Irving and, and Simmons getting back and, you know, Joe Harris, just a lot of question marks. So, yeah, I'd, and, and obviously Embiid's, uh, playing ridiculous basketball. J- just a quick one on Embiid. He's probably either the favourite or equal favourite for the MVP at this moment. Do, do you think this helps, hinders, or doesn't really affect his MVP chances? That they, Their record could improve, but maybe his numbers decline a bit with the ball being in Harden's hands. Do, do you think this will impact his chance to win an MVP at all? Oh, look, I, I think it could actually help elevate it. I think he'll get some probably bigger spotlight on what they're doing, whereas... They've probably gone under the radar a little bit in terms of national coverage this season, um, just because you yeah, have the lack of star power on that team. The minute you include James Harden and any of this, then you know the national spotlight probably becomes even more so, which might mean more eyeballs on uh, what Joel Embiid is doing. And I think you know he's certainly a different centre to anything Harden's played with before in terms of pick and roll or a dunker type um, centre. He's you know going you know, to want the ball in the post a little bit more. So it'll be interesting to see how that works with Harden. But I think it's only going to help. You know, spread the floor if anything, and, and give Embiid more opportunity. And and you know, he's done the heavy lifting to now. They're fifty six games through. There's only twenty six regular season games remaining. So I think you know what he's put on the table so far is going to stand up. And and I, I don't 
necessarily see his numbers um, diminishing too much, even with a, a James Harden in the side. If anything, you know, if Harden comes in and is happy to take on that sort of uh, Robin type role and really gets back to his um, distributive best with with the assist, and he can really help to and beat up even more so than he's probably had in that team at the moment. Yeah, I agree with that. I I, I think that's what Harden will do. I think we saw him do that when he first got to Brooklyn last year, and and this is. You know, James Harden's starting to rack up a bit of a, a bad sort of checklist as far as, you know, cycling through a number of co-stars. You know, obviously, Dran and Westbrook early. He's gone through Dwight Howard and Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook. And now, you know, Duran again and Irving. And now he's now he's gone to Embiid. He, th- this is his time. He's come up short so many times in the playoffs. If he's actually serious about winning a title, it, it's it's time. the time is now for James Harden. Time's running out on his career. So he's, he's got to try and fit in as much as possible with uh, Joel Embiid. And, and I think he'll do that, and I think he'll mesh re- really well with Joel Embiid. We'll move on now, Caddy, to, to one of the other big deals that took place, and it was the CJ McCollum deal. So the Pelicans, Caddy, and I spoke about them last week when I spoke when we spoke about what deals we'd like to see, and I suggested maybe a De'Aaron Fox deal going to the Pelicans, but I did say maybe they might pivot and go to CJ McCollum, and that's what they ended up doing. So the Pelicans received CJ McCollum, Larry Nance, and Tony Snell. Now, Larry Nance, unfortunately, is out out for probably the rest of the regular season with surgery, so that's a bit of a blow to the Pelicans. I'm assuming they knew that was going to be the case when they made this trade. The Trailblazers get back Josh Hart, Thomas Sadoransky, Nikel Alexander-Walker, who was moved on, and we'll talk about that again. Uh, Diddy Lazada, a Pelicans 2020 first-round pick. Um, I think it's if, if it lands between 5 and 15, uh, it goes to the to the Blazers and two second-round picks. So you sort of forecasted McCollum being on the move, Caddy. You, I think you said to – who did you say he was going to go to? To Dallas, that's Dallas. right. And, and you sort of nailed it as far as the return that the, uh, the Blazers would get. I think you said, you know, a first-round pick and – and Kleber, I think maybe you threw out there. I thought, I thought um, the Blazers would get more than a first round pick. But what, what do you think about this deal? It's obviously the Blazers sort of resetting and trying to to rebuild, I guess, a different mixture around Dame Lillard. And and the Pelicans are obviously needed a bit of scoring punch. So so how, how do you like this trade, Caddy, for, for both teams? Yeah, look, I think you know we we sort of preempted really early on in the preseason, or if anything, around the Portland Bla- uh, Portland Trail Blazers really looking to try and reset, I think, the roster and, and understand that potentially they'd gone up the mountain enough times with that group and it was time to get a bit of a reset. And I suppose the question mark for them now is did they really receive enough back for – and you probably look at it in, in you know stretching it out a little bit more in, to include Covington and Norm Powell with McCollum. Have they got enough back – sorry, and Larry Nance Jr. Um, did they get enough back to really, you know, um, justify moving on from all those all those players. Now it was pretty much the new GM just wiping out every deal that Neil O'Shea made in the last two or three seasons. Basically, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And and, and again, I don't think that's necessarily the worst uh, worst thing they could have done. So I think they've certainly got got money off the books. They're well under the cap not only this year and again into next year. Apart from Dame Lillard, uh, they're really only on the books for next year. With Josh Hart and and a fraction of Eric Bledsoe's. Money. We obviously know Joe Eagles got traded there. That's an expiring contract. Nurkic comes out of contract at the end of this year. Um, so really, it's a, it is, as you said, a, a massive sort of uh, reset for them. Um, so you know, are the picks that have come coming back, uh, you know, enough to justify moving on from the column? I think it's probably okay. Um, I think I was surprised in the end that they were so quick to 
you know, we saw that Nicole um, Alexander-Walker went from the Pelicans in this deal to Portland and they shipped him pretty quickly back to Utah as part of that Joe Ingles deal. So I was surprised they moved off him. I thought at least they might have taken, had a bit of a look at him this year as a guy that, um, you know, was a was a first-round draft pick a few years ago that they could have, you know, had a had a really good look at because he's I think he's going to get buried a fair bit down the, the rotation in Utah. So it's a bit of a shame for him. I think he would have probably preferred Alexander Walker. The yeah. Opportunity that, yeah. That it, it was strange, wasn't provided. it? Yeah, that was yeah, sort of I, seen I, as, that, as that sort of young player that had a bit of potential, but obviously they didn't see that, you know, that view. Yeah, so then, you know, you look at from the Pelicans' point of view is is the, the addition of CJ McCullum really going to shift the needle for them um, you know, this season and going forward? I'm not entirely sure. He's an undersized guard. We know um, he's the pairing there with Devontae Graham, you know, in the backcourt, you know, sufficient enough. I don't think necessarily they've come out, you know, with setting the world on fire so far in their very short um, partnership. But I suppose this is all geared around a... Um, a Zion Williamson return at some point and just giving him a bit of extra support out on the court. You know, when you're looking at from you know, the star players there, if you all these guys, Williamson, Ingram, and McCollum is kind of a and Valanciunas also is is your core players, which isn't too bad on paper. So you know, does it shift the needle in terms of becoming a regular playoff team over the next few years? Well, that's what they're effectively banking on because they've now got McCollum under contract. They're a significant one at that for the next, not just this year, but 33 and 35 million in the next two years. And we know Ingram under contract, Valanciunas, Devontae Graham and Zion. So, yeah, that, they've sort of, you know, locked into this group now. Um, and, you know, I, I, I probably don't think it's enough for them really to make huge waves in the in the West, yeah, certainly not this year, but even going forward, is, is that group going to be enough? So, Look, it's it's worth a chance. They, you know, they've been probably criticised a little bit in the past. New Orleans for making sort of short-sighted views just to kind of appease young stars, whether it be Anthony Davis or now Zion Williamson. So, is this another sort of, I suppose, stopgap solution just to keep the Wolves at bay in in that city? I, I'm not entirely sure, but look, you know, I think for McCollum to get a fresh start, it's going to be good. And I just don't know whether the Pelicans are they going to get enough out of this to turn themselves into anything of of significance. Yeah, it's interesting. As I said last week, I thought they would probably had to make a move. And you mentioned there that they've sort of been accused in the past of making some short-sighted moves. They did it, you know, with Anthony Davis, and and they've done it, I guess, a little bit with with Zion as well. But I think they just sort of had to. They, they've got obviously got a boatload of draft picks coming from you know the Drew Holiday deals and, and some of these other deals that they've done. So they've got they've got some stuff to play with. But uh, yeah, so whether or not it's the absolute best move and how much. It, uh, improves them obviously remains to be seen. They they lost their first two games with CJ McCollum. They had a, a very nice win today against a Toronto team that's been playing some good basketball. So you know CJ McCollum hasn't been sh- shy about shooting the ball. He was averaging just over twenty two shots a game uh, through his first two games. He was much more efficient today with it with a team high twenty four points. I think it was in the end. So I think he gives them something that they need uh, another scorer, another ball handler, somebody that can shoot from the outside. But you know, I, I agree with you. I, I guess it, it it all comes down to Zion, doesn't it? You know, whether or not he can get back out on the court for the remainder of the season. They're obviously going to be pushing to make that last, one of those playing spots along with with San Antonio. Uh, sorry, the uh, Sacramento, who we'll talk about in a minute, but so they're one game back of Portland, who who amazingly have won their last three games since this trade has happened. We we thought that they'd be taking a big sort of step back, you know, trading off all those guys, but they, they've actually, you know, they're, they're playing about seven guys, and we're seeing you know Justice Winslow starting to put up big numbers, and Anthony Simons has continued to play really well. So, do do you think 
Um, firstly, from a, a New Orleans perspective, do you think they'll get that last playing spot, or do you think it probably depends on whether Zion gets back out on the court? Oh, look, I think they've, you know, I think they've improved their team from what it was before the trade deadline, and, and that was a team that had, you know, gone almost five hundred after a really, really shaky start. So I think there's every chance that they should be able to slot into that that tenth spot. I think the first nine are probably set all the way, you know, Lakers are in the ninth seed now. I don't think anyone will get past that out of that group of Portland, New Orleans, San Antonio or Sacramento. So I think the Pelicans are as well placed as any of those teams. Um, if not, they should probably be the favourite of that group to, to snatch that spot. So I'd, I'd probably still be banking on them potentially getting there. But then, you know, if they're playing in the play-in against it, whether it's the Clippers or Lakers or something like that, I think it'll be a, a pretty short run, um, postseason run for them. But as you said, it, you know, it will come down to Williamson, whether it's this year or next year, coming back and playing at a, at a really, really high level. And, um, yeah, you just look at New Orleans and just wonder why, I think, in hindsight, that they were so willing to let Lonzo Ball, you know, leave that club and, and effectively replace him with Devontae Graham and Stan Ransky. So, you know, if, you, if you're able to hold on to Lonzo Ball as the goal at CJ McCollum, you know, in, in and around Zion Ingram and Valanciunas, and you, you know, then you're probably a bit more optimistic around something that they've really got to work with. But um, it wasn't to be, and you know, McCollum's a, you know, a, you know, a really has proven to be a high level scorer and player, and um, yeah, he'll give if anything great leadership and 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 um, experience to that group. The, the word on Lonzo was apparently they weren't sort of convinced on his ability to be an efficient player in the half court. He's obviously. Very good in the open floor with his vision and, and, you know, he likes to get out and run. We saw him a number of times hook up with Zion with some alley-oops, but apparently they had some question marks about his ability to be efficient in the half court, which, you know, take that for what it's worth. What about quickly, just from a Portland's perspective, they've obviously had, you know, a number of years with, with uh, the backcourt of CJ and Dame Lillard and the biggest question mark we saw was can, a, can an undersized backcourt sort of prosper? It seems to me they're probably going down that path now with Lillard and potentially Anthony Simons. Do you th- so let's say they that not let's say that that that's definitely the path they're going down. What player or player type do you think they need to target in the off season? Because they're going to have what you would imagine would be a decent draft pick and some cap room. So do, who would you like to see them try and add to sort of help shore up this team around Lillard and Simons? Well, I think they might need, you know, a bit of an upgrade on in that centre spot. Maybe someone that can, you know, really roll to the hoop and be a bit more of an aerial threat around the rim. I mean, uh, Yusuf Nurkic has been a solid contributor, probably more so. That's probably underselling him a little bit. But we well, are surprised that he's stuck with them. I mean, he's on an expiring. They must be looking to re-sign him if they didn't move him on. Yeah, I think probably the fact that he is on the expiring, you think they would have dangled him out as someone that they could have tried to get something, you know, potentially back for. But that said, they were still well under the cap. And, you know, they were obviously taking on expiring contracts. We saw that the Joe Ingalls deal. So, yeah, look, you know, whether they the intent is there to re-sign him or even, you know, even further take a step back next year, I think that will probably be the path. I, don't, I just don't think there's enough on this roster. Clearly now it's been, you know, absolutely gutted that they're going to be in any sort of um, contention or um, competitiveness next season. So I don't really think it matters necessarily about them trying to splash some cash around in the, the off-season from a free agent point of view because you know, we know they're not a huge free agent destination anyway. I think this is all about getting back to the draft and, and building back up and trying to draft draft a franchise star and what position that is. I don't think it's really necessarily that important. I think it's really just about trying to find the next big star that can that can they can build around for the, the next 10 years because whether or not it's Lillard that's going to you know be there for the next few, I think we've probably seen him peak as a player anyway so you know this is all about what the next 10 years are going to look like and I don't 
know, whether it's a, a an elite three and D guy or a, a center or another, you know, off the ball, you know, shooting guard. I, I think they're that far back now that it's just about drafting the best available talent and, and hoping to find a franchise superstar. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think they're one of the most interesting teams in the off season as to what happens and. You know, no doubt Dame Lillard's going to be putting some pressure on the front office to to add whether it be a you know I think maybe a, a three and D type. So there was rumours that they might have looked to flip some of these assets and potential future picks to get in the Jeremy Grant stakes. We saw him end up staying with the uh, the Detroit Pistons, but so maybe a player of that caliber that they're going to look to to shore up the defense and and, and certainly help uh, CJ uh, sorry Dame Lillard with with some of that offensive work as well. We'll move on now, Caddy, to one of the other trades that took place. And I spoke about last week that the Sacramento Kings definitely needed to make a move. We thought, we both thought it would be Darren Fox. We were convinced that, you know, Tyrese Halliburton was was their point guard of the future. Well, lo and behold, the Kings were the Kings and they moved on much to the chagrin of a lot of their fans. They copped a lot of backlash for this trade that took place. So Indiana received Tyrese Halliburton. Buddy Hield and Tristan Thompson and Sacramento got back to Montes Sabonis, Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb, and a 2023 second round pick. So, Caddy, as I said, that they copped a lot of heat for this trade, the Sacramento Kings. A lot of people looked at it and said, you know, they're, they're, they're giving up, you know, their future point guard, Tyrese Halliburton. He's got two more years left on his rookie deal. Then you can sign him. So you're looking at sort of a six or seven year window with this guy who's certainly shown a lot of promise. You know, in the times that De'Aaron Fox has been out with injury this year, and and, and you're giving that up to get Demontis Sabonis, who I think's got two years left on his contract. Now he's still only 25 years of age, so he's got a lot of good basketball ahead of him. But it was sort of seen as they're pushing all their chips in. To tr- you know, they're they're the 13th seat at the moment. They're pushing all their chips in to try and get the that that playing spot. And this is very short sighted. What did you think of this deal, Caddy? Do you agree with that? Premise, or do you think that maybe they've been harshly dealt with? And this, they've ended up getting, you know, a two-time All-Star and the best player in this deal. So, do you think it was a good meal, a move for for Sacramento to make, or do you think they should have stuck fat with Tyrese Halliburton? Yeah, I think when we talk about uh, teams being a bit short-sighted, I think this is, you know, almost the the exact example of that. I, I think Tyrese Halliburton was clearly a guy that around the league people were were certainly uh, was well sought after, which was probably why it was. Such a surprise that they were so willing to trade him because you know often when you know the the wolves are circling that clearly that other teams are seeing something significant in this player and um, you know we've already seen it already you know, I think it was yesterday's game he had over ten assists just to half time playing for Indiana so he's got clearly got incredible upside I think it probably points more to the fact that no one was extremely excited to take on De'Aaron Fox and his five-year contract that he re-signed. So I think that was probably more the case that they just couldn't find a, a, a suitor that was going to give them back anything of significance for De'Aaron Fox. And in the end, the pressure to make a deal was probably too appetising for them. And, and Halliburton was the guy that they were able, you know, they were prepared to let go, and which is just, yeah, I think probably a bit of a surprise and and so kings-like really the fact that they've, you know, potentially finally hit, hit some luck in the draft, and sure enough, he's the guy that that they move on, and you know, and that's taking nothing away from Sabonis at all. He's a he's a terrific player, and I think most people in the league love what he does. And um, you know, he came out of the game straight away um, for them the other day in his debut game, and had a, had a monster nine as well. So he'll be fantastic for them, but I don't think it's necessarily raising your ceiling longer term as to you know becoming a um, a real threat in the West. He's he's, he's a good you know, high level, basically, yeah, all star level player, but it's it's not a, 
I don't think a franchise changing move that, that certainly gives them any terrific upside moving forward. I think, um, whereas Halliburton, I think the potential um, for what he could be or, or become a team leader for them, they really missed the, missed the opportunity with him. And, and from the Indiana point of view, that's exactly the type of move that, that makes sense. You know, they, they've been sort of in that middle of the road for a while and, and even pushed back, you know, to the, to the depths of the bottom of the East this season. So at least they can look a little bit more positively moving forward and longer term around a guy that they can build around for the next 10 years. He's only 20 years old, so it's um, put the ball in his hand and, and see, what, see what comes of it. Yeah, I think Indiana have been outstanding during during this trade period. They they got a couple at a first round pick for Levert and and a pretty good second round pick as well. I think it was, and then to turn Sabonis, who as I said, two years left on his deal, in into Halliburton, who you're going to have for six, maybe even seven years, because you've got that team control with them on that first contract after their rookie scale contract. So it sort of it, it breaks up that Sabonis Turner partnership that we've been talking about since they've been together does it work doesn't it work well now now they can really focus in on Turner being their, their center of the future so they've got Halliburton Chris they got Duarte still there uh, Buddy Hields was in that deal so he, he's a knockdown shooter so whether they hold on to him or he, he'll certainly have some value in the offseason maybe they can get another first round pick for him you know TJ Warren when he comes back uh, Malcolm Brogdon you know, I, I sort of like I, I like their team going into the season, and it just sort of hasn't really, didn't really sort of click, I suppose. So I, I sort of like what they did in this trade period by by bringing in these guys. And yeah, as you said, when you look at it from a Sacramento perspective, they've, they've actually won their first couple of games since these guys come together. Now they they got touched up by the Brooklyn Nets today, who who were coming in off the back of a ten or eleven game losing streak. So whether it was just a bit of a honeymoon period. For the Sacramento Kings, or or this can sort of carry on, and they can really push for that ten C. But Fox seems to have been freed up since that trade. He's been playing much better basketball, and Sabonis had been pretty good uh, leading into uh, today's game, where he had a bit of a stinker. But w- when you look at the Kings now, as I said, they sort of pushed all their chip- chips in uh, f- for this last spot. Interestingly, I don't is, do you know if Jeremy Lamb's injured or not? He hasn't been playing since his trade. Jeremy Lamb, no, not not 100% sure where he's at. Um, yeah, I, I just find it strange. I'll, I'll have a look when you chat next. If he's injured, I, I, I thought it was a bit interesting that, that he hasn't been playing. But do, do you think that there are any chance, the Kings, as I said, that they're back in, in 13th spot, I think it was. Do you think there are any chance of at least competing for that last spot you know, with this Sabonis trade? Oh, absolutely. They're, they're right in that mix with, with the Pelicans. As I said, you know, if that's as short-sighted as they are trying to sneak into a 10th seed to get rolled in the, a playing game, you know, all power to them. But, you know, they're a chance to potentially get there. They're right in there. They're, what are they, a game or two behind the Pelicans as it stands. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a, a shit fight in that group there to, you know, with San Antonio probably as well to, to try and find that last spot. But I, I just would have thought that Halliburton was the guy that they'd probably want to build around going forward and, and as you said, team control for another few years and then the ability to extend um, would have been the, probably the way forward. But as I said, they with him and Fox in that backcourt and Fox already earning that monster extension, it, it probably just got to a point where they had to make a move on one of them and the, and the deals coming back for, for Fox clearly weren't at a level they wanted to be. So, yeah, I don't know how that helps this group going forward. Um you know, Sabonis and Fox, that's effectively what you're building around now. Um, yeah, I think that still puts him uh, probably right back in the pack in the West moving forward. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it certainly doesn't you know push them up to a, to a definite playoff uh, contender you know going forward from this season. So they'll, they'll certainly need to make some moves, and obviously Harrison Barnes is one that name will probably come up in the off season as, as it has at the last couple of trade deadlines. And you know they keep holding on to him, so they've obviously got a, a bit of a man crush on Harrison Barnes. And Jeremy Lamb is actually out with an ankle injury, so that sort of explains the reason for him uh, not playing since that trade. And, yeah, it, it's it's not often, Caddy, that you're surprised when, when trades happen because we see them happen all the time in the NBA. But th- that, that Halliburton one, I was I was actually had to look at it a few times to to make sure I was actually reading it correctly that they had moved on from him. So, yeah, let's see how the rest of the season turns out for the Sacramento Kings. And if they do end up making the playoffs and breaking this, you know, record-long drought, maybe they can sort of say, oh, we, we made the right call, even though it's extremely short-sighted. As I said, Caddy, it's it's pretty rare that I'm I'm very shocked when it comes to trade, but, but this next one just blew my mind, and I'm still trying to figure out what the hell either team are doing in this trade. So we saw Kristaps Porzingis traded from Dallas. Now, Dallas received Spencer Dinwiddie, and Davis Bertans, and the Washington Wizards received Kristaps Porzingis and a future second-round pick. So it's essentially the Dallas Mavericks dumping Kristaps Porzingis and taking on two really bad contracts. Davis Bertans has just been terrible since he signed that four- or five-year deal, and Spencer Dinwiddie, who was signed in the offseason by the Washington Wizards, hasn't been much better. So what the hell do you make of this trade, Caddy? What do you think either team are seeing in these players or this deal? Well, I think it's probably looks to be a bit of a, um, I suppose, acknowledgement from Dallas that that they the Tristaps Bazingas experiment just hasn't worked, um, which is a shame. I really like Bazingas. I, I I don't know why. I think ever since he was in New York and had some good things before he hurt his knee, I, I just like you know that unicorn type player that you don't see come around too often. But you know that, that and he's actually been pretty run. good this year, hasn't he? When he's been on the court, which is obviously when his he's been problem, on the yeah. court. Yeah, absolutely. Statistically, you know, he's he's been been reasonably good, and I, I you just seem to think, you know, surely that mix with him and Doncic, both European type players, um, you thought that the mix would have been a little bit better than clearly what it's been, and and I, you'd have to think that Doncic would have had to been um, consulted on this move before they, oh, no doubt, it, uh, yeah, pulled a deal of this type because, as you mentioned, the return they got back was. Was pretty ordinary, really. Dinwiddie and Bertans, and and we know that you know that that Bertans contract is probably one of, if not the worst contract in basketball. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's just a real sort of line in the sand, I think, for Dallas to say, look, we we made a mistake trading for for um, Pazingas. It hasn't worked out. When we're going to you know swallow our pride and, and make the move now, but yeah, I just don't think the return really was 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 good enough um, for what they. For you know, effectively what they invested into and, and gave gave away. So, yeah, it's a bit of a strange one. I don't see how Bertans is going to help them necessarily this year unless he has a real uh, change in form and, and where his minutes are going to come from. I'm, I'm not sure, but um, look, Dinwiddie gives it, them another ball handle to handle it, put around Doncic and um, Jalen Brunson, and maybe a bit of insurance in case um, the Brunson price tag gets too expensive in the off season, and they've got Dinwiddie there under contract for another couple. But um, yeah, look, I. I don't think this has improved Dallas necessarily. Um, you know, that particularly with the Hardaway Junior being out um, for a significant period here too. At least Bazingas when went on the court was giving them another, you know, pretty key offensive option. But yeah, it's a bit of a shame that they've yeah, pulled pull the pulled the trigger. But again, you know, you'd probably tip your hat a little bit to say, um, you know, at least recognise when, when something's not working and, and, and look to rectify the problem. But 
Look, I think for Washington, it's a for what they've given up to take a flyer on on Pazingas is probably okay. I don't think it necessarily changes their longer term trajectory either. Is in terms of a second start putting with um, Bradley Beal, they're still a bit um, clogged up there in the big man department. Still with Thomas Bryan, Daniel Gafford, and now Pazingas, they did get rid of Montrose Harrell, as we know. But yeah, it's unusual trade, as you mentioned, a bit of a shock when you saw this one come through, and just the lack of. Um, the lack of return, I think, for Dallas was probably the most striking. And for the Wizards, probably a, at least a bit of a flyer on a, a guy that we think has all-star level potential. But maybe, but maybe not. As his ship sailed, I don't know. But, um, you know, he, he wasn't on the court the last few weeks. And yeah, when a, his knee injury um, is worse than what than maybe Dallas ha- have that information. And go, look, he, he's never going to get back to his best and we'll cut, cut ties now. Yeah, well, you said as he ships out as an all-star, he was actually getting a little bit of buzz about being a potential all-star this year, but it's just, as I mentioned, it's just his his ability to stay on the court. When you look at it from a Dallas perspective, I mean, Pazingas has got two years left after this year. He's got a player option in that on that last year. You'll obviously pick that up. So two years, $70 million. Dinwiddie's got two years, $36 million after this year, and Bertans has got three years, $50 million. So, I mean... It's not as if they're saving money or years on the deal. The only thing I can think of is they've split that that contract of Porzingis into two, so maybe they can move either Bertans or Dinwiddie. It's much easier to move one a, a, a contract like that with smaller size, more so than a Porzingis one. But you know, you look at Bertans. As I said, since he signed that deal, you know, as supposed to be a three point shooter, yeah, he's shooting thirty two percent from three this year. So unless you know, we've seen how effective. Luka Doncic is at drawing the defense and, and hitting those shooters from the corners. So maybe they're looking at this and thinking, okay, Porzingis can improve Bertans' play and he can he can become a valuable three-point shooter for us because, you know, when you're shooting 32% from three and that's really all you bring to the table, I mean, th- there's not much going on there. And Spencer Dinwiddie's shooting 37% from the field. So as, as I mentioned, just a horrendous contract. You said there that maybe it's a... A bit of um, insurance in case the Brunson gets a little bit expensive. I, I agree that that's they they must be looking at it from that perspective. But there's, there's been all these rumors, basically since Dragic stopped playing for Toronto, that you know he was pretty much going to come and play with Luka Doncic. You know both both you know player coming from the same country, and and now that it, it looks like they're out of the the Doncic race because they bought in Dinwiddie. So I, it was just a strange one. I I. You know, I understood that potentially they were going to look to move on from Porzingis. I'm just, I'm just staggered almost that this was the best return that they could get. So, you know, Doncic has been absolutely on fire the last sort of uh, couple of weeks. He's put up a you know fifty point game, and then I think it was forty five points after that. So he's he's really rolling now. So you know he's going to hope that that Bertans and Dinwiddie at least can get out on the court more so than Pazingas. But yeah, as I said, that that was. That was one of the more stranger deals that, that I've seen uh, take place in the in, in the NBA for, for a long time. Well, but it doesn't really raise their their full. Like you'll even look at they the game they played after the trade, and yes, Dinwiddie and, and Bertans haven't reported yet. But Doncic with forty five and fifteen, and they lose to the Clippers. Um, yeah, that's kind of got the writing on the wall as what whatever playoff run they're going to have. He's going to have to score forty plus a night. And it's not as if the Clippers are are full strength. They're obviously missing a number of players. So he's he's taking on an understrength Clippers, isn't he? Absolutely. If that's a a first-round matchup or them versus Utah or Denver or any of these teams, it's just too much reliance on him now and and even more so with 
if Pazingas isn't out on the court, which he you know he would have hoped he could have been by the playoffs. So yeah, really strange one. Um, and yeah, I don't just I feel a bit bit, um, bit hollow for Dallas really because you know you just think it, it, if things go right there, it's such a great opportunity to play with with a guy like Luca. And now they they you know if Pazingas was potentially the second star, they just feel even further away from being able to entice that play. Now they as you said they haven't exactly freed up cap space. And, you know, in terms of being a free agent destination, again, they probably haven't been on the top of people's list. Anyway, so you, you just wonder where that second start is going to come for, for them in Dallas. And, um, yeah, just too much on Luca's shoulders for mine. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, it looks like they're, they've got another one or two seasons at least of until they can clear a bit of cap space. We did see see them re-sign Dorian Finney-Smith on, on a pretty good deal. But, yeah, I, I'm, this is a real head-scratcher. And I'm just hoping they don't blow, you know, Luca Doncic's next couple of years because he's, he's, when he's up and rolling, which he is at the moment now that he's got himself into game shape, he, he's certainly one of the best players in the whole NBA. One of the other teams, Caddy, that made uh, quite a few moves on on the deadline day were the Boston Celtics. So they made a couple of deals. So the first deal they made, they sent Josh Richardson, uh, Romeo Langford, and a top four protected 2020 first round pick. And I think a, a potential pick swap in 2027 or 2028 which is only top one protected. So that was an interesting sort of wrinkle in the deal that they had with the Spurs. And they received back Derek White. And the other deal they made was they sent Dennis Schroeder, Bruno Fernando, uh, Ennis Freedom uh, to the Houston Rockets for Daniel Tice, who they've, uh, you know, Brad Stevens just has a, a huge man. Maybe he's sort of uh, the same as Daryl Morey with James Harden. I think uh, he, he's got a massive crush on Daniel Tice because he can't quit Daniel Tice, Caddy. They, apparently they had to trade him away because uh, he kept playing him last year and now as, in his first season as GM, uh, Brad Stevens has brought back Daniel Tice. So the the, the Celtics effect, effectively add uh, Derek White and Daniel Tice. Uh, and they're on, a, I think, an eight-game winning streak now. So th- th- they've really started to roll. Tatum's starting to play really well, much more efficient basketball than he was early on in the season. Jalen uh, J- Brown sorry, started to, to string together a number of games, and we've seen how effective already in his first couple of games Derek White has been. So do, do you like these moves uh, uh, for the Celtics, Caddy? Do, do you think this sort of pushes them up to maybe be at least a second-round team in the East when you add a quality player uh, like they did with Derek White uh, at the trade deadline? Yeah, I think, again, I was a little bit surprised when this one came through. I, I thought that the Spurs had, a, you know, probably had valued Derek White a little bit more than, than really what they got back to him. So, um, yeah, it seemed like a bit early for them to, to, to give up on, on Derek White. But I think for the Celtics to get another, you know, pretty solid ball handler and scorer into that, you know, it looks like he's going to be cutting off the bench for them. Um you know, I think that that certainly added some depth to a to a team that you know one of their biggest question marks I think was how they you know fill out their eight nine man rotation if needed. So Derek White's a guy that's going to clearly be able to come in and play play bulk minutes for for the Celtics, and I think that's a win for them and, and certainly an improvement to their team and um, just another guy that you can put the um, ball in the hands of and, and again sort of give give a different look to what they probably had just with the Tatum Brown um, duo there. So no, I liked it. For Boston, and as you mentioned, they'd already been on a bit of a roll heading into the deadline, and um, they've pushed themselves right back up into into that sort of um, you know mix of, of teams that could potentially could even be fighting for a top four seed in the East. Um, yeah, so I look, the East is such a um, bunched group at the moment; it's really hard to project you know anyone to 
who's going to be um, getting through to the second round. It's, there's going to be some unlucky teams that will get rolled in the first round in the East. It, it's, it's that deep now, um, down six six or seven teams, really. So And the Celtics are in that mix, and I think they've got better for sure. Tyson's is a guy that you know I think will, is probably going to be able to contribute more so than, than what they were getting out of Freedom, which was basically nothing. So you'd have more confidence bringing him in off the bench as well. So that just spattened their rotation out a little bit. They got off Schroeder. Not that the money was uh, significant, but yeah, clearly the fit wasn't right um, with Boston. So yeah, he's he's um, got an interesting. It's been an interesting twelve months of him leaving the Lakers, you know, giving up uh, the extension opportunity they had he had there, and then signing a pretty small deal one year with the Celtics. I think six or seven million, and now he's found himself in Houston. So it's been a bit of a disaster for Dennis Schroeder, but uh, for the Celtics, this is a, a win I think for them and puts them in a in a better place than what they were um, prior to the deadline. Yeah, I agree. Derek White's a fantastic ad. We've seen him play on Team USA a couple of years ago, even in that in that ill-fated run they had where they came to Melbourne Caddy and the Boomers gave him a bit of a touch-up in that in that warm-up game. But you mentioned it sort of it gives it sort of fattens out their rotation. That they certainly need to add some players. I think they were five players short of a roster after these trades. Now they added Luke Cornett and one or two others, but they they, they certainly I think they need to be players on, on the buyout market because. You know, for instance, the game they had yesterday against Atlanta, they played their starting five, Tatum Brown, uh, Williams, Smart and Horford. And then off the bench, Derek White played 29 minutes, Grant Williams 27 minutes and Peyton Pritchard 11 minutes. So that's just an eight-man rotation. You're probably stretching Grant Williams a bit too far with 27 minutes. And, you know, Tice will come into that to that lineup. But I think they need to be a bit of a player in that buyout market and, and have a little bit of insurance in case they get a couple of injuries. Maybe, you know, someone like a drag, Druggage could end up here. Druggage is going to have a number of suitors, but, you know, I think Boston could be one that could he could potentially come to and, and certainly add add something to. So, yeah, that, it'll be interesting to see how, as you said, and as I mentioned, the Boston Salvies have really got going as of late and they're going to be a very dangerous team, uh, you know, post uh, the All-Star break. The next deal we'll talk about, Caddy, was a four-team deal. So it was the Utah Jazz got Nikel Alexander-Walker and Juancho Hernan Gomez. The San Antonio Spurs received Thomas Sadoransky and a second-round pick. And the Portland Trailblazers got uh, Joe Ingles and Elijah Hughes and a second-round pick. So what what did you make of, make of this deal, Caddy? I think you mentioned earlier the fact that uh, it was a bit surprising that, that Portland moved on from Nikel Alexander-Walker. I, I thought it was a little bit strange for Utah. Now, we, we, we all knew that Joe Ingles, unfortunately, was going to get traded at the trade deadline because they needed to add to add somebody. And, and you know, obviously with his injury, he wasn't going to be playing the rest of the season. He's on an expiring deal. I thought they would have tried to add some some defense and someone that could help straight away. But they, they went a little bit younger with Nikal Alexander-Walker and he's hardly even got on the court since this trade. So I thought that was a little bit of a, a surprising pick. Uh, for for me, for Utah to go down this path, what did you think about this deal for Utah? Um, yeah, again, I, I, I probably in theory, you know, you like adding a young player that with, with some upside, but I think the way that the Jazz are set up this year, that's not what they needed at all. And I think, you know, we saw that Ingles tweeting even before the deadline that you know he was prepared to be traded, and he hoped that you know by getting traded they could add some you know talent into this year's team. And yeah, he just would have thought if they were going to go down that path, and they would have got someone in there that was going to, well, they would at least give the opportunity to contribute. Um, whereas, as you said, Alexander Walker's been buried on the bench um, and only playing junk time 
at this stage. So, yeah, I didn't love it. I did not love it at all for the Jazz. Um, you know, certainly no surprise that they got off Ingles and, and there's no dramas there. And, um, you know, we hope that he comes back at some point next year and, and you know, ideally signs back with, with the Utah Jazz at some point. But, um, yeah, just the return there, not, not great. Spurs were involved here, looks like just for tax purposes for themselves to, to get under. I think they saved some money by taking on Herman Gomez here and getting off Dan Taransky. And again, for the for the Blazers, it was more just um, yeah, just getting some expiring contracts in and, and getting so far away from the luxury tax that it, it's not money. So, yeah, look, that, that was probably one of the more boring transactions, I think. I don't think it necessarily shifted anyone's needle at all. Um, and, yeah, it was a bit of a... Bit of a mere trade for for the Jazz in particular, who I think would have been better served going after some more veteran health that, that could have been of some use to them. Yeah, as I said, just a head scratcher for me. There's a, the reports coming out of Utah continuously that Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are continuing to butt heads. So you would have thought they would have made a trade to help them now. So that that is very confusing for me. I'm not sure what was going on there, and and for me that that. They're just not good enough this year. That They certainly needed some help with some perimeter defense. So a very disappointing trade deadline deal for uh, the Utah Jazz. We'll quickly run through a few of these others towards the end. So j- just quickly, Caddy, a four-team deal. Serge Barker went to Milwaukee. The Sacramento Kings picked up DiVincenzo. The Clippers got Rodney Hood and the Pistons got Marvin Bagley. What did you like about this deal or did, did you, you don't think it sort of adds too much to either team? Well, the only team in, in terms of the, any of them that the, the Contenders would be Milwaukee, and I think for them, um, a, a bit of insurance, I think, for the fact that we, we may not see Brooke Lopez again, and if that means Serge Barkers can help them out, I think it, it's a good move. They obviously, you know, give up a bit of their wing depth with DiVincenzo, and that's been exacerbated a little bit now with um, Pat Connaughton getting injured and, and out for a few weeks here. <laughs> Poor timing, well, wasn't it? Straight away well, got injured. Absolutely. So, yeah, that wouldn't have been... <laughs> been on the script for them um, ideally but no I think Serge you know gives them a he has a chance to to be of some service for them and and contribute at a championship level team and the other the interesting one for that I think was at least we get to have a bit of a look at Marvin Bagley now you know Detroiter Marvin Bagley senior was very happy with this trade caddy well so so he should be I think it, it you know gives him an opportunity I mean we've seen it time and time again that poor teams take these flyers on um, historical low draft picks. There's not too many of them that sort of have the second coming, um, as, as it turns out. But at least, you know, we get a bit of a fly here on, on Bagley down the stretch and see if, um, you know, there's anything to unlock the the secret as to why it was taken ahead of Luka Doncic in the draft. But he'll get that opportunity to play some minutes. Um, we saw him coming off the bench today for, for Detroit. So hopefully there's some opportunity to see if he's a he's a player. But um, no, I think out of all of those players, it's Serge Ibaka that's got the best opportunity to, to at least play in some meaningful games um, towards the end of the season. I don't think there's any well-kept secret that's going to explain why Marvin Bagley went ahead of Luka Doncic, Caddy. So uh, <laughs> as well as he might potentially play, I agree. There's You definitely take a flyer given the position the Pistons are in, but uh, he's been certainly been disappointing thus far in his NBA career. And I agree with Serge Barker. He'd started to play pretty well for the Clippers before this trade and obviously some assurance in case Brooke Lopez doesn't come back. We saw a Barker start today. Didn't put up huge numbers, 6.7 rebounds. He got a couple of buckets early. Didn't do a lot after that, and they, they had a big loss, but Giannis was out. So I think he is the one, certainly, out of this deal, given that Milwaukee are the only ones that are going to go for a deep playoff run that can that can have an impact, certainly, this year. Although I do like DiVincenzo's potential with Sacramento as a good uh, wing defender. 
the next deal, Caddy, is that the Toronto Raptors picked up Thad Young uh, from the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs received Goran Dragic. Apparently, there's going to be a buyout. And as I mentioned earlier, he's going to be hot property on the buyout market. And they also received a future first-round pick, which is lottery protected. I think the Raptors did did get back a, a draft pick. They were second-rounders. So... Um, from Houston or Detroit, one of those teams that are going to have a pretty good second rounder. So they've essentially moved back maybe 10 spots in, in the in the draft uh, pecking order to to get Thad Young in. Now, they did certainly need to add somebody to, to their mix. We'd spoken about the, the extreme minutes that a number of the, the Toronto Raptors were playing. But do you, do you like the Thad Young acquisition? Do you think that you probably play a little bit of small ball five? Do you think he was the right guy they needed to add or should they have looked to move and, and maybe get, you know, maybe an Aaron Gordon or somebody, uh, sorry, an Eric Gordon or somebody like this. Yeah, look, I would have liked Serge Barker returning there as well, back to, you know, his championship pedigree. But now, Thad Young, the year before when he played um, sort of that Metro role in Chicago, had done done pretty well. And I think he's still got something to offer. He was clearly, you know, they weren't that interested in giving him any minutes in, in San Antonio. But no, I think he's worth a chance. I would have liked Chicago to actually try and get him back. He was the sort of player that I would have been looking for them to to bring in just to sort of shore up the, the front court. Um, as we know, they're a bit light on there. So I, I think it's a reasonable fit for Toronto. I think, you know, if they can come in and play, you know, 12 to 18 minutes a night uh, for a team that's, you know, certainly got aspirations to play to play significant playoff basketball, it's a, a decent result. And for the Spurs, I think, that, you know, they've stockpiled pretty decent um, draft picks in this trade period. They, that one they got off Boston um, for the Derek Whites, you know, it's going to be a first-round pick it should convey this season. So, you know, to add another potential first-round pick into the mix there for, for the Spurs, I think, you know, they'd be probably reasonably happy with what they've done there as well. And we've seen them being dormant, Caddy, dormant for so long at the trade deadline, and they were very busy during this one. So good to see them uh, starting to cash in uh, at the trade deadline. We'll move on now to the Phoenix Suns, Caddy. They added Tory Craig, who, who we saw, you know, play a, not a, not a huge role for him, I suppose, in the playoffs last year, but he did contribute uh, to Indiana for, for Jalen Smith. So they've given up already on, on pick 10 from the draft a couple of seasons ago. And they also got Aaron Holiday from the Washington Wizards for a bit of cash, Caddy. They splashed a bit of cash the Washington Wizards way to to get Holiday. So I don't mind this for Phoenix. I mean, giving up on on Smith is, you know, they, they didn't pick up his, his option on his rookie contract. So he was going to be an unrestricted free agent in the offseason. So they obviously didn't see a future for him. So they thought they'd get... Get, uh, Tory Craig, who, as I said, did did contribute a little bit for Phoenix last year, and Aaron Holiday is just a bit of insurance, um, just in case they need some some backup point guard play, I suppose, behind Chris Paul in case they get some injuries. So that they add a bit of depth and they don't give up too much. Is this going to have any sort of impact for for Phoenix, who are clearly the best team in the NBA at the moment? Yeah, I love this trade. I love it for both teams. I, I think Tory Craig coming back to Phoenix, where you know he seemingly had a, a pretty um, you know fixed role. With, in terms of shoring up some the wing defense behind Jay Crowder, and I think they, you know, it was certainly a, a team favorite there. They, there's been some talk around how good it's going to be to have him back in the locker room already, and, and came in and played a, a pretty significant um, role already in his first game or two um, back at Phoenix. And I think for Indiana, you know, we've seen that they've, you know, taken you know, the, the the chance now on Tyrese Halliburton to pair a, you know, a former top ten pick in Jalen Smith. In, into there as well for effectively look pretty good this year too hasn't he shown some promise I mean he, you know Bismack Biombo's look good this year with Chris Paul as his point guard but he's certainly shown something this year yeah well that'll be the litmus test you know he had limited opportunity and when he did get that opportunity um, with the injury there uh, for Aiton in Phoenix he, he did he put up some big numbers double doubles most nights so 
I think it's a, a, a good opportunity again for Indiana to have a look at a good, you know, former first-round pick who's, you know, pretty pretty untapped really. And um, you know, if he can get some chemistry going with Halliburton, you know, they might have picked up, you know, a couple of good young players there. And and Tory Craig certainly wasn't really taken into the promised land. So I think for both teams, yeah, that, that's one of, was probably one of my favourite sort of um, under the radar trades in, in the whole period. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I really liked what Indiana had done right throughout these this trade period and, and adding, as you said. You know, Jalen Smith certainly adds to that. So, so well done to Indiana on a on a great trade uh, period. The last one we'll, we'll discuss quickly, Caddy, is the Charlotte Hornets, who certainly needed to add a centre, whether it be a starter or a backup centre. So they added Montrose Harrell. Um, they got him from Washington for Ish Smith and Vernon Kerry Jr. So I'm not sure this is probably the type of centre they needed to add. I think they probably needed more a defensive orientated centre who could who could eat a lot of minutes for them. But you know, Montrose Harrell, as we spoke about last week when we said that he could potentially get traded, he's he's gonna he's gonna be a ball of energy. He'll come off the bench and, and run the floor and, and get some you know, you can imagine him and, and Lonzo in transition. So I, I, I Lamello, sorry. Uh so do, do you like this trade for them? That they're pretty much just gonna have to try and outscore you know, the, uh, every team they play for the rest of the season. Do, do, do you like it, Caddy, or do you think they needed to go another direction with the style of centre they needed to add? Oh, look, I think if they were going to get, uh, if they weren't going to get sort of a young centre under contract for the next four or five years who was going to shift the needle, this is worth the flyer. It's an expiring contract. What about a uh, Nurkic? Would you prefer a Nurkic to a Harrell? Um, oh, possibly. But I, look, I, I think, as you said, the tempo that Charlotte are playing anyway is before this deal was sort of more offense geared than, than defense. So I think, you know, Harrell at least exudes that type of energy that they're, that they're going to be looking for there. Haywood not playing, you know, again, injured. It's just a, 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 a disaster, really. They just never get a chance here, Charlotte, for whatever reason, to, to really have a look at what they've got. But I think, in, in theory, the, the fit for Harrell in this team, yeah, as you said, an up-tempo offense-based line-up with you know Kelly Oubre and Terry Rozier. It, it, it's a it's a reasonable mix, but yeah, expiring contract. It's hard to see him having a longer-term home in Charlotte. But for the fact, you know, for, for this year to have a crack at you know that play-in tournament, but you know, try and get into an eight seed, maybe you know it's it's worth a flyer. And yeah, for the, the price they paid, it, it's definitely um, I think a positive move for them. So what about Caddy? Some of the teams that were sort of rumoured to be looking to make deals that didn't, who was the most disappointing team for you at the trade deadline that you would have liked to see make a deal? Is, is it the Lakers, the Knicks, maybe even your Chicago Bulls or the Grizzlies who we, who we spoke about last week had had a number of trade chips that they could have sort of pushed in? Which team for you, you thought, oh, I can't believe they didn't make a deal? Yeah, well, probably the Lakers only because they're so far back. You know, if they're thinking that what they've got is, is going to be enough to even potentially make the playoffs. I think that they'd be, you know, kidding themselves probably. But clearly, you know, what they were trying to give up, which, which would have been Russell Westbrook, wasn't that appetising to too many teams out there. So they come on, they had THT, head. mate, one of the most desired players apparently in the whole NBA, according oh, to Lakers fans. Yeah, and a twenty twenty seven first round. Oh pick, yeah, you know, very appealing, Caddy. Very appealing. So look, I, that that was probably disappointing. That that probably for me now rules them out for this season. And 